Welcome to the Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. Welcome to this episode of the Determined Mom Show. Today, I have the lovely Emma Farrick with us, and she is going to talk about how to go from struggling single mom to mompreneur. So welcome, Emma. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah. Excited. And this is your second time on the podcast, which is very exciting. You were on episode 170 talking about the importance of having a virtual headquarters to grow your remote team. So I'm very excited to have you back. And today we're going to talk about a more personal issue, personal slash business. So I'm very excited about that. Before we get started, I know you've already introduced yourself last time, but this time you can introduce yourself in a little bit of a different way and explain how you became a single mom and kind of the story behind that. So it's related to my business, but in a different sense in that. So almost three years now, I was, I found out, I guess, four years, because my daughter will be four here in a couple of weeks that I found out I was expecting. It was not an ideal or planned situation. And I was just about to graduate college. So I was on top of that, a young mom in a not ideal situation. And I found out I was expecting and I wanted to do what I thought was best for my daughter. And that was stay with her biological dad at the time. It wasn't until after she was born that I realized like there were red flags before she was born, but I just told myself, it's not what it is. Everything that you say to yourself to make it seem not so bad. And it wasn't until after she was born that the physical abuse started. There had been emotional, mental, financial abuse throughout the whole relationship. And finally, when she was about 10 months old, I went to the hospital for a broken nose and just a bunch of bruising. And I knew from other personal experiences because my aunt had gone through a similar experience and experience growing up. So I knew to go document it, how, what kind of processes needed to happen, like calling the police to have witnesses and things like that. So I was, went to the hospital to get everything documented. And that was like the changing point in my life where I was like, I can't keep this up. I had to do something better for my daughter. And that's when I became a single mom. I decided like after I left the hospital, went to file a PFA, went to file all the paperwork to charge him with assault, everything like that. And that really set off the chain of events of putting on, going through this struggle as a single mom, realizing I didn't want to be financially controlled by someone because he was the type of person who, if I send child support, I expect this and this, I want this time with her. I want this or still trying to use money as a manipulation because he constantly would tell me you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never start a business because that was something I've always wanted to do. And fresh out of college, I was in no position. So I thought to start a business until it was a single income and I was drowning in bills, drowning in expenses. And I just didn't want to have any ties with him at all. So I was like, what can I do to provide an extra income for my, for us and not have to sacrifice time with my daughter. And that's what led to my business was discovering the online space and how incredible it was. And at first I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do blogging. And then I was like, no, I'm a terrible writer. So it's, picked VA work because I already had a background in corporate life and it was the easiest way for me to start. 
my business. And then my business started to grow. And with COVID, everything that happened, I went full time and I just continued to niche further down and to get to the point where I am today, where I'm an operations and system specialist. So if you heard the last episode, I won't get into that part, but that's the series of events that led to it. Okay. That's a very, it's a very brave story. I think that's the best word to describe it because the things that you've gone through obviously have been very difficult. And for you to know at that moment when you're in the hospital, like this is never going to happen again, takes a lot of bravery up front, if that makes sense. Because a lot of women think, oh, he's not, this is just a one-time thing. It's not going to happen again. And then they go back and it keeps happening repeatedly. And then it's just harder and harder to leave. But, oh yeah, that was the hospital one wasn't the first time. Okay. So I want to like audience members to know if you guys That's can okay. hear that. It's the baby it's okay. coughing. We love <laughs> Exactly. Got a multitask, but that wasn't the first time But and I had actually moved out of our house once before after an argument and him basically throwing me and my daughter out when she was only a couple of months old. We hear the promise of I'll change, I'll change this, that, and the other thing. We went to two therapy sessions. He manipulated the therapist into basically he heard the one thing that he wanted to hear that the therapist was like, you have postpartum, you need to get help. And I was like, I'm already seeing a therapist myself. This is, mm-hmm. there's more to this conversation than just my postpartum. And you're not hearing his side or what anything. So as soon as he heard the therapist say, you, you need to get help your postpartum depression. That's just all he needed. And it was like, I'm not going back. You're the problem. You need to get help. And I was like, I'm already going. I'm not the one who's throwing us out of the house. I'm not the one who's making it difficult. And there was another time where he almost left me in Cleveland and took my car, like left me stranded almost basically. And that was like one of the, another time that was like the first physical piece that was gonna like left marks and everything. But once I went to the hospital, I was like, I can't keep hiding this because everybody, no one had known really up until that point. And it was so hard for me to even like the nurses at the hot in the emergency room were just the kindest women. I wish I remembered all of their names because yeah. they were like, you need to report this because they see this kind of stuff. So it's, they were like, you need to report this. You need to call your parents. Cause at the time I was only 22 and no one, and I lived on my own. I just graduated college in this city. My parents were two hours away. And I think that was like the hardest phone call. Yeah. I'm having to make that phone call to my mom and say, this is what's been going on. Yeah. Can you come pick me up from the hospital? <laughs> Basically yeah. like that's because you don't want anybody to know. Yeah, definitely. You're experiencing this. And I think that's also a very common thing that happens is that nobody does know. And people are like surprised. Wow. That person did this to you? No, I don't think so. And then it makes it harder to believe. And it, yeah, it's just a very vicious cycle. Oh yeah. And he, his, it didn't help that he like financially had control over his family because they always needed help with money and he was always the one helping them. But then when it came to everything that happened, they of course took his side, even after seeing the proof, they were like, you're just, you're the one who's causing the problem. I was like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, because gaslighting and mental abuse, 
you can start to believe that, especially if you're in this situation, you, they isolate you. That's like the biggest thing. And I didn't even realize what was going on until I took a step back objectively months after we had been out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. I, did I realize that's what was happening? Yeah. Wow. You mentioned some red flags. Do you want to just mention a couple of those just in case anybody that's listening is experiencing this right now or thinks that they might be so that way they can maybe catch it early before that physical abuse starts because it is an escalation. Yeah, it's an escalation. And one of my favorite, there's a book, I'll have to send you the name of it so you can put it in the show notes that it's all about narcissistic abuse. And after I read that because of my therapist, it's about surviving a narcissistic narcissist abuse that's what the title is something more specific but I'll send you the link after because the name is escaping me but it when I read that book I was like these are all the red flags that I noticed but didn't have a name for and it wasn't until after that I could pinpoint it but it was two months in I found out I was pregnant and then after when we got into that discussion I was like I'm keeping the baby this is what I want I found out he had been lying about his age so huge red flag, number That's one. That's a really he big was, one. Yeah. So he told me he was 27 because at the time I was 22. It's not that big of an age gap. He was actually 32. It's a mm. huge, big age gap. Yeah. And other red flags were bombarding me with gifts, like extravagant, over-the-top gifts. At the time, didn't think anything of it, but he would have those gifts. And then there'd be like subtle knocks down. So like they build you up. And then they like completely knock you down and just to see how far they can push you. So he would cause these big blow bites and make it my fault. And I never realized looking back, he was just like blowing these things out of proportion. And then they would get followed up with like extremely nice gifts. So those were some of the big red flags. And when I was pregnant towards the end, he was like never home, never, I was could have been due any day and he would be gone doing, I don't even know what, I don't know where. Yeah. And so like those kind of red flags, just not being treated properly at all or showing any kind of respect. And I had so much else going on in my life at the time, not just only being pregnant, graduating. I had other personal family stuff going on. So I was so just blinded by like everything that I couldn't see it because there It was like the least of my focus yeah, at that you were, time. You were busy and it was the busyness was keeping you from actually analyzing your situation and evaluating and feeling really probably. Yeah. And I was like, what am I supposed to do eight months pregnant or seven months pregnant? Like I want to leave, but I can't, like, I just, there was all these like practical factors and the pressure of society. I just was so under my own head in my own head of, I don't want my child to come from a broken home was what I would tell myself because I just didn't want to be that stereotype. But then when all the abuse started happening, it finally clicked in my head. I was like, it's better. And someone, I forget who said this to me, it's better for her to have a split home than to see her mom be abused or put down constantly and not have that like level of self, not realizing her self-worth. Like that wasn't what I wanted to model for her. Yep. That's very true. Very true. So we've gone over the red flags. You mentioned financial abuse and for someone that's giving you extravagant gifts, 
for them to withhold money from you seems really contradictory, especially knowing that he's supporting his family. How did you come that or did that get overcome, you know, as when you left? Okay, now I'm gone and now I have control of my own finances. Yeah, the finance financial piece was really, it was like when I left, I realized I constantly would think I didn't, and I was not good at budgeting too, because I was so young and it was my first time dealing with like normal bills. I had some in college, but then on top of that, factoring in child expenses, daycare, because I was working full time, all the extra stuff. I just didn't think I could afford everything. And he just could keep reiterating, you can't afford this by yourself. You're not going to be able to afford rent by yourself. And I just thought you're right. I can't like, I have to keep everything split. He would have, he had money and would just, I was always a point of argument though, for us Yeah. and making me feel bad for anything and everything, or just making me feel bad for buying groceries or, or in excess. There's just all these random things that would just to make me feel bad about anything. But the finance piece was, he would always say, you're not going to be able to support yourself or you need me was always the underlying message because you're going to be stuck. Like you were going to be stuck at this corporate career. And then once I finally left, I had to get serious about my finances of writing all of them down. What did I actually have to pay? What was just like a necessity. How much was I making? I knew how much I was making monthly, but like where what kind of discrepancy was there and how was I going to cover it? And for a really long time, I lived with my aunt, thank God. So she didn't charge us rent or anything like that. And she helped me get on my feet basically. So we didn't have to live in a shelter, which would have been the other option, yeah. but I didn't realize how many resources. And I was so blinded, just asked for help because I didn't it was really like pride and thinking, I don't want people to know that this is happening Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a very common human condition. Like anything that happens in your life, you're like, okay, I would really rather no one knows about this, but yeah. um, if it comes out, then it comes out and you just have to go from where you are. And it, it was really like the fears of my own head. So after starting my business, I've noticed this a lot more because like when you're an entrepreneur you have all these fears of what are people going to think and you have to address a lot of mindset issues but those mindset issues were also playing a part in a lot of those mindset issues with the abuse and like making it public it was the same thing it was a fear of like how other people were going to respond I was so worried about what other people were going to think and half the time the response that I thought they were going to have wasn't the at all even close like they were super supportive they were understanding all of this stuff it was just all the fear that had been made up in my own head trying to keep me I don't know it was all the subconscious yeah it's trying to keep you where he wants you and where where he has told you that you belong all that time and yeah um, definitely not good for you one kind of question that I have is if there is anybody listening, because obviously the goal of this episode is to help other women that may be experiencing the same thing right Right. now. How did you go through that process of leaving? Did you just leave all of your stuff? Did you just never go back to the house after you left the hospital? How did you separate finances? I think those are logistical questions that are never really addressed, but I think they do need to be addressed. So, yes. So luckily 
we want my situation is different than some people if you're listening usually a little bit different once you're married luckily we were not legal we didn't have anything legally binding us together mm-hmm. and no official finances together like we kept most of everything like we knew our joint bills but we didn't have any accounts together or like I wasn't so he didn't have access to my money which was good that's a lot harder I think and I've talked to women who've experienced that where it that's a way different circumstance and that takes a little bit more planning because my now mother-in-law is an advocate she went through something very similar so now she's an advocate and we've talked and talked about a lot of her cases it requires a couple weeks more planning sometimes to get some people out depending on the situation but there are resources like that who are women's advocates the women's shelter is somewhere I called after everything happened so the logistics of what when I left was go to the go to the court file a protection from abuse order, an emergency protection of abuse order, because it was the weekend. So in our county, it was something called night court. If you're listening and you might have something different in your county, or you might be able to go to the police station and file some type of report. So once you got that, you can, since I put our house, our shared house in the protection of abuse, he wasn't allowed to come there. He was actually arrested the night before when everything happened, since there was physical abuse shown, mm-hmm. like I was physically injured They in Pennsylvania. They have to arrest on scene if someone's physically injured. And then you can decide if you want to press, can continue to press the charges, which I did, which was a whole year long process, but he was, he had to leave so I could stay there and collect, figure everything out. And I stayed there for probably about a week or so, because once he got out of jail, he could still find me. And the police didn't do that like much. Cause once it was a couple of days after he'd gotten out of jail, we were at the house and he was like circling around the house, trying to get a hold of me. I had blocked him on stuff, but he had tried to message me and trying to find out where I was. And I called the police at, I don't know, midnight. And they were like, you have to go to night court. And I was like, okay, thank you. If I'm uh, still alive in eight hours, when night court opens, I will definitely go there. Thank you. There's always difficulties and it always depends on county and what they'll do. And the police are always their own entity. There's a lot of police that help me, but there's a lot of police that they don't want to get involved because it's family. So I was like, okay, I have to leave. I can't stay here. We, I left a bunch of stuff that would have caused a fight, like anything that was like shared or bought during anything that wasn't like clear cut mine or clear cut Charlotte. I took, I left. So I took whatever I needed. My mom and dad were like, don't even think about it. We can buy you new stuff. Don't worry about the money. Just like we need to go basically. And then I went and moved in with my aunt, but I did call the women's shelter a lot. They have support groups for women who are transitioning through that. And most counties or states have some type of version of this or multiple kinds. Some are private, some are government funded, but they have resources and support groups to help you through or shelters. So if anyone's listening and they're like, how can I help? I always advocate donate to the shelters because there's so many kids and so many moms who, who don't even get the chance to pack a bag or pack their stuff up and have to leave with nothing. So that was the logistical aspect, like getting the protection from abuse was like what able to, I was able to stay in the house and collect my stuff. And if he needed to come and get anything, like the police had to be there, but it just depends on the situation. But there are those resources like the women's shelter or some type of female advocate groups that 
can and will help you if you have to leave with nothing. And then the finance piece is just, I had been saving for a while, putting some money away to have a nest egg because I knew it was coming, but I didn't know what, like how it was going to happen. I just knew I was trying to save this money so that I could leave after she turned one. Like I was like, okay, if I make it to one, she had a year with us both, but I can't keep doing this. So you can store some money away. That's not going to get you in like in trouble or put you in a dangerous circumstance. Like you can hide money or give money to somebody to hold on to for you or start a name bank account in your name or something. That's usually a good way to do it. So if you're, if you have time to prep or are worried about finances. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense if you're married, I think the holding of the money by another individual, like I guess a friend or a family member or someone that you trust would probably be a, a good idea. Because I don't yeah. know, I guess you get online bank statements now. I don't know. I guess it depends on everybody's situation and how involved yeah. everything is. Like you said, everything. And just not holding on to the material piece and that money. You need the money, but there's a lot of groups and people out there who can help you. Because I know of a group locally to us that I just talked to. They started to go fund me for someone and were able to like, or they had donors and they were able to raise six or $7,000 for this woman and her child who are homeless and the air, like just to help them get their life back on track. So there are resources out there for any of the situations. So don't hold on to the fine, like don't let the material aspect of it hold you back. There are people that will help you. It's just getting in touch with them. Yeah. There are so many that want to help. This is amazing advice and amazing that you're sharing your experience with us. And I truly appreciate it. So how did you use this experience to build your business? That's really where it started, right? Yeah, a lot. And I always say my business really is what helped my healing. Like I did go to therapy. I was going to therapy before the relationship ended. That was the crazy part. Not even my therapist knew because I I didn't want to bring that kind of stuff up, even though we were in therapy. So she didn't know about the abuse until after I had left, which was like a whole can of worms. But I started the business when I was like, I'm running out of options. I can't keep staying in my corporate. I liked my corporate job. It was safe. It felt good. But I was like, I need something more. And I had no, I felt no control over my money in corporate. And so I had found all these books, all these podcasts, and it really led me on my journey of self-healing and self-love and self-acceptance because I met so many other women who helped me on my journey. Like my first VA client was a life coach and we ended up, she ended up helping me with a lot of my business and just helping me with that self-love and self-acceptance piece because I had felt so crappy and where I was at. So the journey of my business really got me in contact with so many women and so many other people that were going to help me on my journey. And I didn't realize it yet. And I've met so many women who've gone through an experience like I have, because I'm so vocal about it, because that was also part of the healing was if I'm making it through this, I'm helping other people get through this because I listen to so many stories like this on podcasts or books and I could, I was like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. Like we just, it's just one step at a time, but I would, I met so many life coaches or healers of different sorts. There were so many healing tools that I didn't even know about until 
I met them at like a networking event or some type of other business event or through a friend, like rapid transformation therapy. I've done that. That helped wonders with just some subconscious fears of that were still holding on to me. Like I thought I had out, I was over everything with him. I was out of it. Like I had met my now fiance and I felt good, but it was really like the fear of him and his, my ex and my abuser his repercussions were really holding me back. The, the thought of it was holding me back in the beginning of my business of success. So mm-hmm. I was so afraid to get fit and so afraid to like actually do what I wanted because of what happens if he finds out and what happens this, that, and the other thing. So that was like a huge part of the journey, but yeah, rapid transformation therapy. I worked with a coach. She's not a coach. She does inner healing, but it's very spiritual, very niche, not like mainstream or talked about, but she has her own way of doing it through religion. And I am religious. And so it was crazy how much one of those sessions helped because I was pregnant at the time. And I was so stuck on all these subconscious things, not only with my ex, but just other life things that I was stuck on. And pregnancy alone is one of those, (laughs) one of those life things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy how, after we went through one of these sessions, like my morning sickness totally cut down because I was holding so much tension in me that it was causing extra like morning sickness. It's just, there's all these things that people don't know about until they know, but that my business became a way for me to meet all these women and help other women who also experienced this. And they were like, I had to start my business because of a similar situation or, and then it can grow. And now we're working together because I'm helping them streamline and take back their life almost in a sense, again, because the business overran it and they're like, they love their business, but it was taking up almost every hour time of their day and they want to be home with their kids. So what kind of tools can we put in place to help them do that? So that's where the message stemmed from is because of connecting with so many women who were in similar positions as me. That is amazing. And I think for me, that is one of my favorite parts of being an online business owner. And I'm not even going to say business owner because I connected with business owners. I had a brick and mortar like 15 years ago and I connected with people, but it's not the same. Like you make such deep connections online are impossible to make in person. And I don't know how to explain it. And you spend more time with people online. (laughs) I think that sounds really weird and backwards, but especially since the pandemic, I've met some of the people that I've actually made friendships with online. And it feels like I've never, I've just known them forever, like in person. It's just so interesting. Oh, I wouldn't agree because I talk to my clients or potential people in my mastermind. I talk to them a lot more. Like even my fiance, my one client, you talk to her more than you talk to me. And we live in the same house and we're always slacking or Facebook messaging and tagging each other and stuff. You do get to know them because you're talking to them every day on a very deep level where I think you don't talk like this. I know I never talk like this to people in my corporate job. When you're an online business owner, I think the mental piece is so much more talked about Yeah, as well. Yeah. And I think that's the other part. One of the parts that is so restrictive about being working for someone else and having that 
expectation of you can talk about this, you can't talk about that. That is a very freeing part of it. Not only the time, you can control what you do with your time, but yeah. you can also control who you're around, your your environment. You have so much more control of so many things being an entrepreneur. And I think that's huge. And I think that's a double-edged sword in a sense. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm like, I finally deleted Slack off my phone and I'm like, cause you can work anywhere, but it's the boundary of not working all the time. And like, whenever you have a free moment yeah. and I was like, I had let Slack overrun so much and like my email overrun so much because of it, but it's like setting up those boundaries as well in a sense too. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've created a wonderful system for that. So I have no doubt <laughs> for checking yes. and keeping up with it. And I'm sure you have some sort of system in place for that. It's getting perfected because things look different now with having two kids instead of one prior to my maternity leave, it was different. And I was definitely on the verge of burnout just from saying yes to too many projects and not bringing on enough help right away. But now it's every stage of your life. And this is, I do this with business owners too, is your life changes. So your processes are going to change with your, with, with your business, as it grows, you're going to have different needs than when you start up and then when, versus when you reach 200,000 or 500,000, things like that. Yeah. That's so true. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being brave enough to talk about it. That's a huge deal in itself. And going through it is a, a whole nother aspect that's not even measurable. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience that is listening about if they're going through this, what would you have wanted to hear at that moment? I feel like I've heard so many things that did help and I'm trying to pinpoint one that just resonated the most, but it's hard to believe that if you're going through this, that you are strong enough to get through and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you take it one day at a time, not let the, the anxiety of, I have to have the next year figured out, just taking it one day at a time and not letting what you can't control bother you because it gets better with time, <laughs> honestly. That's a great message. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Emma, for being here. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? If you follow me at elf underscore operations and you're going through this and need someone like to talk to, my DMs are always open in a safe space and I can help you find any resources that you need. That is wonderful. Thank you for that resource. You're a huge resource then. So Thanks. I try because I've connected with so many different kind of programs and people, which has been great yeah. to get that kind of network built. Yeah. And we will put the link to the book that you're talking about in the show notes as well. If you're going through it, I definitely recommend because it'll be an eye opener that you're not the, it was so weird to see the parallels that you're not the only one going through it because you feel like you are. Thank you for sharing everything with us. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. Let's face it, piecing together a marketing plan with the things you hear, watch, or read online while tempting is never a good idea. The truth is people don't search on social media for your services. And even if they do, they will still be going to Google to check your ratings. 
By not having a cohesive, proven marketing system, you are leaking clients and customers through giant holes in your customer acquisition bucket. But let's talk about what else isn't working. Posting tirelessly on social media, tracking followers as a business metric for success, paying for ineffective marketing, buying glossy ads in coupon magazines, spending time replying to comments, paying others to manage your social media with no actual sales coming in. So what is going to work? Having a proven marketing system in place will plug every hole in your bucket and allow you to begin to fill up with new customers and to also retain and nurture your current ones. Go to tdm-marketing forward slash six-marketing-musts and download our free guide to six marketing musts guaranteed to get you more customers.